Uh, thanks for being here, Sunday after Christmas, all right? Uh, we call this Youth Pastor Sunday. A lot of youth pastors get to preach this Sunday. Uh, I was actually scheduled before Randy got sick, right? So Youth Pastor Sunday, but I'm excited. Hey, regardless, I'm excited. It's a privilege to get to stand on a stage, especially a stage that I don't deserve. Uh, so I'm really grateful this morning. I want to ask you a question, though, this morning. What is your favorite Christmas tradition? Y'all know I'm talking about contentment this morning, uh, the, you know, two days after Christmas. But one of my favorite uh, things about Christmas is getting gifts. Like, I'll just be honest. It's one of my favorite things about Christmas. I love getting gifts. I love receiving gifts. And my mom is the best at giving gifts. She is really good at giving gifts. And every Christmas, my brother and I always try to find, what did we get for Christmas? Like, what in the world did we get for Christmas? And we searched throughout the entire house. Like, I'm 23, he's 26. He's still asking me, what did we get for Christmas this year? And it's one of those things that I always think about. And one year, I asked for this Tiger Woods video game. I asked for this Tiger Woods video game. I think, you know, my mom's pretty good at giving me gifts. Like, she's definitely going to show up and give me this gift. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. It's like a $30 game. Like, not that that's not a lot of money to some people, but I know that she'll pull through for me here. And so we're searching for this video game, thinking, you know, we're going to find it. Like, eventually we're going to find it. And it gets to Christmas Eve. We still haven't found the Tiger Woods video game. Like, it's nowhere to be found. And I'm like, well, my, you know, my mom's going to pull through for me. Like, she always does. And so Christmas Day comes around. There's a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement. And Christmas morning comes, and the Tiger Woods video game is nowhere to be found. It's nowhere to be found. You can imagine my disappointment. Christmas night comes, and I think, you know, she's, she's holding out on us. She's just waiting to give it to me, you know. Christmas night comes, Tiger Woods video game, nowhere to be found. I'm discouraged. I'm disappointed. Come to find out what had happened. My mom hid the Tiger Woods video game so well, she couldn't find it. <laughs> Nobody was finding that Tiger Woods video game. My mom didn't find it. I didn't find it. My brother didn't find it. And so that Christmas, I went without my Tiger Woods video game. The thing about contentment, that's a funny story, but the thing about contentment is I think a lot of times in life, we want contentment, but we're looking in all the wrong places. We're searching for something that we're probably never going to find because we're looking in all the wrong places, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. If you have your Bible, Philippians chapter 4, we're wrapping up this series, uh, and I'm just sitting here this morning thinking about how God has been faithful to me because I preached this exact same text to my high school football team when I was 16 years old, and I just sit here and think, man, God, you've been so faithful to me. Like, you've really shown up, and so I'm excited. Uh, Philippians 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 10. It says this. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Philippians 4.13 is arguably the most popular verse in the Bible. Everybody knows Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see it on mugs for Christmas. You see it on t-shirts. You see it on sports gear. You see it on everything. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about why Philippians 4.13 is such an awesome verse, but I also want to give you kind of the context and the idea behind Philippians 4.13. Uh, if you've been here at any point in the last two months, you know Paul is is writing this letter from prison. 
He's in a prison cell in Rome writing this letter uh, to the church at Philippi. And one of the things about the church at Philippi is they're sending him all these gifts. They're sending him all these presents, kind of like Christmas, like my favorite part of Christmas. They're sending him all these gifts, all these presents, money, financial things. They're sending him all these things. And so Paul is getting these gifts from a guy named Epaphroditus, who you'll read about in Philippians chapter 2, if you go back and look at it. And the thing about Epaphroditus is he was actually sick. And so as he's bringing all these gifts, he's bringing all these presents to Paul, uh, he's almost to the point of death. Like he's about to die, and he's such a good friend to Paul that he does it anyway. And so he's bringing Paul all these gifts, all these presents. And in verse 18, it says that these presents are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. And that's what Paul calls the gifts that Epaphroditus is bringing them. The church at Philippi is supplying for them. And that idea of a pleasing aroma to the Lord, if you think about that phrase, maybe you think like me and you think back to the Old Testament. Uh, My mind goes to verses like Exodus 29. It says, it is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Or you think about Leviticus 1. It says, a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. These were the sacrifices that they were to give to God. And so they would slaughter these innocent animals, right? Which would ultimately foreshadow the coming of Jesus. How Jesus would be the innocent lamb once and for all. The once and for all sacrifice that would pay for our sins, right? We think about that. And so after Jesus' death, that is a good sacrifice, As it says in the New Testament, this is my son whom I love. With him I am what? Well pleased. Well pleased. And so you get past that, and you get to Paul's writings, and what does he say? He says your sacrifice is a pleasing aroma, meaning it's a good sacrifice. Meaning, hey, I know you've sacrificed a lot in order to give me these gifts. I know you sacrificed a lot in order to send me these presents. One of those things being Epaphroditus has almost sacrificed his life. And so despite all that, despite how these gifts are good things, Paul says, I really don't need them. Why? Because I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I've learned the secret of being content. And he goes on to say at the end of this passage, I have more than enough. I have more than enough. And I think that's kind of a hard concept for us to grasp during the Christmas season. We have more than enough is we're asking for things for Christmas, we have more than enough. And so Philippians 4.13 is kind of this climax. This idea that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is kind of the climax of this story. And what I mean by that is this. Think back to chapter 1. Philippians 4, chapter 1, right? Paul says this. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Well, how is what has happened to Paul serving to advance the gospel, right? How is being in prison going to help serve to advance the gospel? Well, if you know anything about Paul, the whole reason why he was put in prison was because they thought if we put Paul in prison, the gospel will not spread throughout Rome. But what would happen is that Paul would be chained to these prison guards uh, 24-7. And so he'd have three different guards, four different guards. They'd rotate these shifts, and Paul would share the gospel with these people. And so what had actually happened was these people would go out, these prison guards would go throughout Rome, and they would spread the gospel. They would tell of the story of Jesus. And so it's ironic that the very reason that Paul is put in prison is that the gospel will cease to spread 
But the very thing that happens while Paul is in prison is that the gospel spreads like crazy. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Then you get to verse 21, and he says this. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This prison is horrible, but it's okay because I'm with Christ. But even what's going to happen next is I'm going to die, and it's going to be awesome because I'm going to be with Christ. Whatever his situation, whatever his circumstance, he's going to be with Christ. Then you get to chapter 2. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Honor other people above yourselves. How is Paul doing that? Well, he's writing these letters. He's sharing the gospel. He's not making excuses. You get to chapter 3, and he says, I forget what lies behind. I press on. I press on towards what God has called me to. In heaven, I press on. You get to chapter 4, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but rather in prayer and supplication, submit your request to God. Everything that happens to Paul throughout Philippians 4 comes to fruition in Philippians 4.13. Why can Paul say these words? Why can he say, for me to live is Christ to die is gain? Why can he say, you know, some of these things like, don't be anxious about anything? How can he say that? Because Christ is his source of strength. Christ is his source of contentment. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. This is the climax of the book of Philippians. This is it. This is it. And he says that statement, I've learned the secret of being content. Why is it a secret? Why is it a secret? I think the reason that Paul calls it a secret is because there's so many Christians that walk around without it. There's so many Christians that walk around living our lives without contentment. We look to other things for contentment, and Paul says, hey, it's a secret, because it's something that a lot of people don't know. If you were to look at many Christians, you wouldn't know how to have contentment. And that's kind of sad. That's kind of sad, right? Because 2020 has been a tough year. 2020 has been a tough year, just as Tony mentioned, you know, staying up until midnight on January 1st. It's, it's a tough year, right? Like, it's a tough year for a lot of people. Maybe you've lost your job. You know, maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've uh, just had a, a tough experience. Maybe you've been isolated. Maybe you're watching online. You've been isolated for the last few months. It's been a tough year for a lot of people. But I think the problem is there are a lot of us are like me growing up. We're looking for something, but we're looking in all the wrong places. And so what are some of those places? That was kind of what I was thinking about this morning. What are some of those places that we look to for contentment? And I was thinking about, you know, the new year, right? Everybody makes New Year's resolutions. Like one year I had a goal to eat more salads. Not really a goal, but I ate more salad because I'd never eaten a salad before. So all I had to do is eat one, hit that goal, all right? <laughs> we set goals for the new year. Like, everybody does that. And a lot of goals are, you know, different, right? Everybody has different goals. But there's some that probably you've, you've had this goal at some point in your life. And I Googled this week. I said, what are the top, you know, New Year's resolutions, all right? And if I were to ask you to guess, it would be pretty obvious. The first one is losing weight, the first one is losing weight. Uh, I was thinking about this. Everybody wants, you know, a quick fix uh, solution, right? Everybody wants to lose weight quickly. You know, no one wants to have to put in the time and the effort to lose weight over time. Everybody wants that quick fix solution. Uh, 95% of the diets that people go on fail. And so, you know, if we go on a diet this year, if people go on a diet, one in out of every 20 will actually be successful in that diet. Uh, I'm 23 years old. And people my age, specifically women, 
one-fourth of women my age would say that they're always on a diet. They're always on a diet. For the rest of their life, they're going to be on a diet. And that's kind of sad, uh, in my opinion. Uh, 3% of the U.S. economy is built on weight loss. So whether that's weight loss supplements, whether that's workout equipment, uh, whatever, 3% of our economy is built on this idea of wanting to lose weight. Now, I'm all for being healthy. All right, I'm all for being healthy. My workout partner's here this morning. Uh, we're hitting it hard in 2021. But I'm all for being healthy. But the problem is, when we look in the mirror and we can't be joyful in our lives because we don't like what's staring back at us. We don't like the image that's staring back at us. I think that's the problem. And so we have to get to a point where we have to say, you know what, I want to be healthy, but I'm also going to be content. God, I'm going to do the things necessary to glorify you with my life, but I'm also going to be content with the results. The second thing on my list was this, improving your finances. A lot of people want to improve their finances in 2021. Uh, 85%, actually 75% of people have stressed about money at some point this month. All right, so three out of every four people have stressed about money at some point this month. As I'm saying that, some of you are stressed about money uh, right in this very moment. Right, a lot of people are stressed about money. You think, you know, I've got to save for my kid's retirement, or I've got to save for my retirement, or I've got to save for my kid's college, or I've got to save for this. Like, I've got to be able to pay these bills. Maybe you've lost your job. Like, I don't know what that looks like for you. Uh, but people are stressed about money, and they think, you know, if I just had X amount of dollars, I'd be pretty satisfied. Well, I want you to think about that number. What is that number for you? If I had X amount in my bank account, uh, I'd be satisfied. I'll tell you your number. It's more than you have right now. It's more than you have right now. We have, a, we have a problem with contentment because we're looking for it in money. And we think, if I just have this, I'll be content. But the problem is, is that it never really fills us up, does it? The third one is this, getting a new job, getting a new job. 85% uh, of people would say that they're unhappy with their current job. All right, 85% of people would be, uh, be able to say they're unhappy with their current job. For me, I worked in insurance uh, for a little over two years. It was absolutely miserable for me. For me some people may enjoy it. Uh, for me, it was miserable. I was miserable. I remember going to work every single day thinking, man, I can't wait till 530 because then I get to go home. And I can't wait till I get to Friday because then I get two days off. Like every single week I was living for the weekend. I was thinking, you know, if I can just get to the weekend, like I'll be happy, I'll be content, I'll be satisfied. Uh, but the problem is this, Monday comes around. <laughs> every single week, Monday comes around. I know it's a crazy concept. And so then you get to Monday, and you'd be like, man, I can't wait to get to Friday. I can't wait to get to 5.30. And then you'd be like, man, I can't wait to get to a holiday so I can get a Monday off. Like, and some of us live our lives that way. That's no way to live our lives. That's not what God calls us to. And you think, you know, if I just get that perfect job, or if I just get those new coworkers, or if I just get that new boss, like everything will be perfect for me. But the problem is you get it, and you're still not content. You're still not content. Uh, the fourth one is this. This is the last one. Improving relationships. Improving relationships. A lot of people want to improve relationships in 2021. Uh, maybe that's with your spouse. You say, hey, I want a better marriage. Or maybe that's your kids. Uh, you think, man, I want better kids. Uh, or maybe that's something else, whatever that is. Maybe that's you know, a relationship with a coworker, right? Uh, I think about you know, some of these kids that I get the opportunity to minister to, and a lot of them feel a ton of pressure from their parents because they think, you know, I'm never going to please my parents unless my grades are good. Or I'm never going to please my parents unless I'm good at this sport. Or I'm never going to please my parents unless, you know, my behavior is top notch. 
And I don't know what it's like to be a parent, but I know what it's like to be a kid. And that's a lot of pressure. Some of you as you know, adults that you're married, right, you think if my spouse would just do this, that would really help me out. Or if my spouse would just do this, this would make me content. But it doesn't. It doesn't. You see, I feel like I have the best wife, but she's still going to fail me. And while some points in my life I feel like, man, I'm doing pretty good at this marriage thing, I know I'm not. <laughs> I know I'm not. And I know there's a lot of moments where I'm going to fail my wife. But I also know this, that if I'm looking at her for contentment, I'm looking in the wrong place. If I'm looking at Allie for contentment in my life, I'm looking in the wrong place. I'm looking to the wrong person. You see, all these things are pretty good things. Like being healthy, that is obviously a good thing. Or maybe improving those relationships, that's a good thing. Or saving more money, or whatever. All these are good things, but they can also be sources of discontentment in our lives. And I think that we have to be, you know, careful. But for myself, you know, I think about what's something good in my life that I've looked to that's also been a source of discontentment. And I think back to a few years ago, I was 19 years old, and I was interning at this church, a pretty big church in Louisville, uh, Southeast Christian Church, and church of about 25,000 people. Like, it was a really cool experience, and I planned this event. And this event was going to be incredible. It was for middle school boys. I thought, you know, this is going to be awesome, right? And we have a ton of people show up. Like, there's so many people show up. There's like over 150 middle school boys show up to this event. I think, wow, this is incredible. And then I wait until Sunday, and a kid ends up giving their life to Christ that came to this event. He'd never been to church before. I'm like, wow, God, you're really moving. And then that next Sunday, this kid brings his entire family back, and they get baptized. And I'm thinking, wow, God, like, you're doing some incredible things. This is awesome. Like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like, I want to have a ton of people. I want to have this huge ministry. Everything's going to be perfect. Fast forward six months later. I'm working at a church, not of 25,000 people, but of 125 people. It's right across the street from the biggest church in America. I planned this event. It's a similar thing as last time. I think, man, God, you're really going to move. Like, I've seen 150. Like, God, what what are you going to do now? I'm not expecting 150 people, but I'm expecting, you know, 25, 30 people. Six o'clock rolls around. The event is going to happen at 6.30. I think, wow, God, I'm really excited. 6.30 comes around, 7 comes around, three people show up to the event. I was like, man, God, like, what are you doing? Like, I thought this was what you wanted me to do. Like, I thought this was it. And I remember that night driving home just so discontent, so dissatisfied, so unhappy. And I made a promise to God that season of my life. I said, God, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to place my contentment on numbers. I'm never going to place my joy on how many people that show up. And the irony of what God does is one of my favorite things in my life is discipling three guys each week. I meet with these three guys each week, and we meet for discipleship. They memorize Psalm 24 this year. Next year, they're memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm really pumped about it, but it's one of the most joyful things in my life. And it's funny how God would use something, like having a big event and only having three people show up to teach me contentment. Because the thing about contentment is if we don't learn it, God's going to teach it to us. Those things that you're looking for, you're never going to be satisfied with them. For me, I was looking at numbers. I was thinking, you know, God, if I just get X amount of people, I'll be satisfied. But the problem was, is that I'd had 150 people and I still wasn't satisfied. What is it for you? What is it for you? Maybe it's like, I just want to, you know, I want to be in good shape. Are you going to be satisfied? 
Are you going to be satisfied? You see, Philippians 4.13, it's not meant to help you accomplish all these things in your life. It's not meant to help you get in shape. It's not meant to help you improve your finances. It's not meant to help you, you know, improve your relationships. It's meant to comfort you when you don't. It's meant to comfort you when you don't, when you don't hit those goals, when you don't hit those plans, when you don't do those things that you thought that God was calling you to. It's meant to say this, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. My prayer this morning, the thing I've been thinking about all week is this. Would verse 18 of this passage be me? Would I be able to say, God, I have more than enough, whether I have nothing or whether I have everything? Because if you have Jesus Christ, you have more than enough to live with contentment in the Christian life. Now think about this idea of Jesus and how he really came for two purposes, discipleship and death. And I think, man, what a life. You have literally two purposes in life. But then I think about me. I think about us. I think, isn't that the same thing that we're called to? Isn't it discipleship and then death? There's a famous theologian. He once said this. He said, preach the gospel, be forgotten, and die. God, would that be me? Would that be me? Would that be me as I'm living this Christian life trying to figure out what in the world I'm doing? God, would that be me? And I think about New Year's. I think about like everybody's pumped. Everybody's excited for 2021 because 2020 has been a tough year for a lot of people. And I think about this idea of these good things that I mentioned. I think, you know, what, what if our finances were not a source of discontentment, but were actually a source of discipleship? What if our health was not a source of discontentment, but actually a source for discipleship? Or what if, you know, our home was not a source of discontentment, but actually a source of discipleship? What if the relationships that we have with our spouse, with our kids, were not actually a source of discontentment, but were actually a source of discipleship? What would that look like in Journey Church? What would that look like? You see, Jesus had every reason to be discontent, but the Bible says for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross. The Bible also says this. It says, for the wages of sin is death, is death. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.